Hello, and welcome to Spall Talk, the only podcast where two siblings talk about the life and career of Timothy Spall. I'm Neil Jacoby, here with my brother Eric Jacoby. What up? And Eric, you don't have a question for me, because we are retiring the Spall Facts portion of our show. Because we we have run out of facts about Timothy Spall. Like his Wikipedia page, we have picked it over like a vulture. His IMDb page, we have picked that over like a vulture as well. Ladies and gentlemen, we now know everything about Timothy Spall. Uh, Everything that we couldn't learn by like digging into his mail. (laughs) Like we're not going to be going to... uh, uh, Forest Hills or whatever, and just digging through his trash. That That's not in the purview of our show. See, I disagree. I am going to start digging through his trash, and from now on, our Spall facts are going to be like, Timothy Spall buys off-brand tomato soup. <laughs> He's a uh, thrifty shopper. Uh, I uh, given a thrifty shopper. Given what we've seen on his IMDb page, we will be digging through some trash, but it won't be personal. (laughs) But Eric, who does Timothy Spall play in this film? This film, which is Wake Woods, which I'm going to be honest, I thought it was going to be really bad, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, That would be be 2011's Wake Wood, directed by David Keating. Timothy Spall plays Arthur, who is the, uh, I wrote, cow doctor boss, Um, which, listen, I don't know what his job is. All I know is that this dude, Patrick, is a doctor for cows, and Timothy Spall is his boss. I believe that's called a veterinarian. (laughs) Well, yeah, but specifically just for cows. Uh, That would be a counterinarian. A bovinarian. Hey, you ever hear that joke where this, you know, the Secretary of Defense says um, to George W. Bush that like five Bovinarian soldiers died in Iraq, and then Bush says, "How many's a Bovinarian?" Zing. Hashtag the resistance. Um, anyway, he plays the cow doctor boss. And he is also the leader of this weird cult in the city, in in the town, who can, like, use weird Irish magic to bring people back from the dead. That's who he is. All right. Uh, And Eric, since we don't have a guest on today, would you like to give us a summary of the film? Oh... I would love to. If that knuckle crack didn't come in clear enough, just edit one in. Okay. So, this movie starts out with the happy couple of Patrick and Luis and their daughter, Alice. And they're all happy. They're playing. It's Alice's birthday. She gets a necklace, stuff like that. And then uh, Alice goes out to play and gets completely fucked up by a dog. And we don't learn for a few more scenes for sure, but she dies, uh, which is really sad. And then, you know, the parents are distraught. They move to this little town of uh, Wakewoods. Um, the dad is a cow doctor who does cow C-sections that look really gross. And Luis works at a drugstore. So... 
one day they're wandering out outside of the town and they come upon Timothy Spall's house and they see like some weird cult thing happening and they freak out. And then someone at the drugstore where uh, Luis works goes up to Luis and is like, you know, Alice, Alice has a pretty voice or something. And she's like, what? How did you know my dead daughter's name? And that happens. They eventually figure out that Timothy Spall has a sort of magic spell for a ritual that can bring Alice or anybody back from the dead for three days. Goodbye, whoever just drove off on a motorcycle or something. Yeah, people are always doing that in my neighborhood. Um, you live in a really cool neighborhood. <laughs> just a bunch of motorcyclists. I don't live in a cool neighborhood because someone a few doors down has a Confederate parking only sign on their garage. Oh, in Ohio? In Ohio. And they've also got a flag that I didn't recognize, so I like Googled like a description of the flag to see what it was, and it's called the Bonnie Blue flag. And it was like a very early uh, symbol of the Confederacy, which just annoyed me because like – not only are they racist, they're being, like, hipsters about it. Like, I gotta <laughs> Google it because they're doing the obscure racism. Oh. Shitty. Anyway. So, they make an arrangement with Timothy Spall. He asks them a bunch of weird questions. And he needs a... Uh, what's the word? Not, like, a tribute, but a token or something? I forget uh, the word they use. A wild a relic. <laughs> they they need a relic of of Alice to bring her back. Something that's like corporeally close to her or whatever. So they dig up their daughter's grave to pull out a necklace and a finger. Oh. It's brutal. Yeah. Just for anyone who's thinking of watching this movie, yeah, it's a lot. It yeah, gets... It's, it's a lot... It is gross. It is unsettling at times. It can be gory. So yeah, just be warned if you're interested. So, they go and do the ritual, which we're going to have to talk about at length, because it's pretty wild. And then Alice comes back. And they're hanging out for a while. They play, have a nice full day of playing, and then Alice goes to bed... And then there's a scene which I'm not 100% sure if it was or was not a sex scene because of the way it was shot. You know the scene I'm talking about? I, I'm i not sure I remember it. It was it was right after. It was like the night after Alice you know, comes back and all that stuff and after they play. It was either a sex scene or... They were making out, and they had flashbacks of an earlier time where they had had sex. Okay, the way I'm kind of seeing what you're talking about here. The way it's shot makes it really unclear what was kind of going on there. Um, so that happens. What's that say? Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what the hell that says. I'm reading off my notes now. Um, so they're, have a few days with Alice, and then at a certain point, this old lady comes over and is like, hello, 
let's play, you know, give Alice a pony ride. And the pants are like, I don't know about this. But she talks them into, into letting her do it. And then she asks Alice some weird questions while doing some Irish abacus magic thing. And Alice is like, I don't like you. And so that happens, and then Alice tries to run away. She runs out of town. They find out that once Alice crosses the town limits, she starts to die again. So they bring her back, put her in bed. All the townspeople show up in the middle of the night, and they're like, hey, you got to give her back a day early because we're worried. And Patrick is like, uh-uh. And they're like, all right. So they leave. Oh, also earlier on, they hit a dog with their car, uh, but the dog is like not dead. It's just a little hurt. And Patrick stitches up the wounds because he's an animal doctor. Um, and so that next morning, after the mob is gone, they wake up and Howie has been skinned. Ooh, and yeah. The, the skin has been nailed to the door. Like, what's his name? Martin Luther style. <laughs> I, I like wild. that you had to give a little think about it. Like, who's that guy that nailed that thing to a door? I forgot the dude's name. It was like the Reformation guy. <laughs> that guy. The 95 Theses man. <laughs> you know, Mr. Theses himself. So, uh, you know, they wake up. That's nailed to the, to the door. Hmm. <sighs> Excuse me. Sorry. And so they're like, something is wrong here. And, you know, Luis is like, who would do this? And then Patrick sort of alludes to the fact that it might have been Alice. And Alice keeps getting creepier and creepier until they're like, yeah, we should probably wrap this whole thing up. No more Alice. They give her like a little thing that's called a clutch, which you just like, put it around their neck and, like, tie up their hands and it calms them down and stuff. Yeah, it's like a weird little Blair Witch, like, it's like a little Blair Witch handcuff thing. Blair Witch, awesome movie I haven't seen. I, neither have I, but I am familiar with, like, the little, like, stick figures. My roommates, Ben and Mel, were watching... I think it was like a film theories video, and it was like a theory about who the real killer was in Blair Witch. And so I sat down and watched it with them, and at the end they were just sort of talking about it. And then Ben was like, what do you think? And I was like, I've never seen that movie. And he's like, <laughs> dude! Such a good movie, why'd you watch that? You should have watched the movie first, you should have said something. <laughs> Yeah, like like they were gonna drop everything, start the Blair Witch for you, so you could then watch the rest of the video. <laughs> Knowing Ben, that's not out of the question. Fair enough. Um. Anyway, so they're going out. Alice sort of goes on like a murder spree, like kills a bunch of people. She kills the old lady. Um. And stuff like that. She mutilates a cow. Um, Patrick puts the cow out of its misery. Although there's a nice bit of foreshadowing where he, like, you know, loads up a, a huge syringe with tranquilizers. And they're like, oh, you're going to 
tranquilize it to death, and he's like, nah, it's too big. And then he gets a gun and just shoots it. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, there's this other lady whose name I don't remember who's with Luis, and they encounter Alice, and then Alice pulls out that lady's heart to give it to Luis, which is dark as hell. Yeah. It's a brutal fucking movie. Oh. Um, we find out at this point that Patrick lied about how long ago Alice died, because this sort of ritual only works if Alice has been dead for under a year. Turns out she's been dead for slightly over a year, and that's why she's all evil and murdery. So they subdue Patrick with the clutch to make sure that he doesn't go off and try to save his evil daughter, which is the best Evil Dead movie. Uh, Luis, there's like windmills, all like wind turbines all throughout this movie as like a motif or whatever. And uh, we find out that they're they're like just outside <sighs> the city limits. Edit out that yawn and. Alice and, you know, Luis runs up to the top of one of them to shout for Alice to get her attention. And then Alice runs over, crosses the line, and dies because she's outside the city limits. So then Luis takes her in to where they're, they're all at, buries her and stuff. And then they're like, well, glad that's over. But wait, record scratch, it isn't over. Because uh, Alice does the carry thing where she, like, reaches up through the ground and grabs Luis's ankle and pulls her in, and then Patrick is like, no, my wife! And Timothy's <laughs> ball is like, Timothy's ball is like, oh, your wife, she's gone, mate. You should have told me it was more than a year, mate. And so that's good. Uh, and then we see Patrick doing the ritual again, but with his wife this time. And, uh, she comes out of the out of the the thing because we haven't yet described how the ritual works and it's a trip. Comes out of the thing like really like pregnant, like eight or nine months pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Because earlier uh, Alice had sort of noticed that she was pregnant, even though she didn't know. Yeah, and then she noticed she was pregnant. Alice is like, "When's the baby due?" And she's like, "Well, what?" And then she goes to like the boxes they have packed and just opens it up, and she has like a huge crate full of pregnancy tests. And while I was saying that, I remembered that she works in a pharmacy, so that actually isn't weird. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so she finds out she's pregnant. She comes out of the thing, you know, pretty far along in her pregnancy, and they're talking about how. There, you know, Allison, Luis, they're in the other world now, and, you know, having a good time. And then Patrick sits down, and he pulls the clutch out of a drawer, and he sits on the bed, and he looks to his left, and on a um, uh, chair, he has set out all of his medical equipment on a sheet. And his wife looks over and is like, I'll be in there in a sec. And then Patrick just sort of looks at the camera with a smirk. And then the movie ends. Yeah. And I feel like, personally, this is just my take, 
it would have been a slightly better movie if that whole scene had been edited uh not out but like to the to the beginning of the movie and when he looks at the camera it goes like record scratch yep that's me (laughs) i bet you're wondering how i got in this situation and then it's the whole movie leading up to that i watched that i think i'm doing a pretty good take on that that's what would happen if it had been like a mid two thousand Disney Channel original movie. Is is that the fucking joke you wanted to save for the end? Yep. Of that course. Was a joke that I wanted to save until we were saying it on the air because I knew that if I had told you before, you wouldn't have found it as funny on the air. So I had to I had to chase that laugh. Fuck. Oh my god. Oh. As as we go on with this sleepy time edition of Spall Talk, let's move on to our Spall <laughs> moments and a Spalling wonder. Sleepy time edition. It's not my fault. We just start recording till a half hour after we said we would. Fair enough. It, that usually is my fault because it that, almost always does happen because of me. But like this time, I was on time. Yeah, this time, this time I got busy. Uh, Retweeting a a massive thread full of uh, bad wrestling t-shirts. Man, you started that sentence so cool and ended it so lame. (laughs) Well, I gotta be honest. Yep, alright. So, Eric, would you like to start with your small wonder? Ooh, I will do a small, small wonder. Um, one thing that I really liked was the tone of the movie. Uh, we're going to talk about this more in a bit, but it was a very troubled atmosphere, the whole movie. There was something sort of unsettling throughout the entire thing. And there's one scene which was like, it's right after, you know, Alice, uh, much like Mike D, is back from the dead. Uh, and they're just sort of playing instead of chilling at the beach down at Club Med. They're playing, they're just running around playing tag. They're playing with super soakers and stuff like that. Antifa super soaker. That's my Twitter name. I'll use that. They're sort of playing and like it should be a very happy scene and like there's nothing about it that's like overtly says something's wrong. But there's something, and I can't put my finger on it, and it might just be me. But, like, it was a very dark scene to me. There was just an overall sense that, like, something here is very wrong. Which I thought was extremely well handled and extremely interesting. Interesting. All right, uh, I'll go for my spalling moment, then you do your spalling moment, then we come back to spall wonder. Give it a compliment sandwich. Yeah, a good, a good, a good um, IDEOTV pod uh, steal, like you. Yep, yep. Uh, my spalling moment is, in the beginning... Uh, God created the, the heavens <laughs> and the earth, and the earth was without form, and darkness was upon the shape of the waters. <laughs> then God said, "Let there be a firmament, firmament, so that you know the upper water is separate from the lower water." And He called the upper water sky and the lower water 
ocean or whatever. Under the water, carry the water. Under the water. Water move. On, on the Black Square radio servers, the song Once in a Lifetime is uh, uploaded as, uh, the, as the title, As the Days Go By. Oh, which annoys, wow. Which annoys the hell out of me, because that's not even the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Letting the days go by. Uh, but anyway, at the beginning of the movie, there's this sort of... Uh, the way that Alice's death is handled is she goes up to this gate, opens it up with a, a bit of baloney for the dog, and then there's this weird sort of montage thing that sort of implies that she's being mauled by the dog without really showing it. And it feels like the movie is trying to bite off more than it can chew editing-wise there, so it just yeah. comes across as kind of jumbled. Mm-hmm, for sure. There's a lot of it is edited together with the sort of like it's not quite as far as the you wouldn't download a car sort of <laughs> like some scenes in Hamlet type of editing, but it is that sort of quick cuts. Uh, you never really get a clear shot of what's happening. However, it does have the same sort of color grading as those you wouldn't download a car ads because it it sort of. At the same time, saturated and darkened, so you've got these very the, these very dark blacks, but these very sort of saturated and kind of overblown like light colors in some scenes. Okay, I see what you mean. I kind of like the color palette. I I like that it was a bright movie. I think that that helped sell a lot of the feel of it more than if it had just been. You know, like like a sort of dark and gloomy movie throughout. I think the color grading might have sort of helped with the general feel that something is not right. I there are I, I do like the sort of overall uh, use of brightness mixed with some dark scenes, but some of the brighter scenes are so bright as to kind of be overexposed. I get that. I, I, I wish that they had double exposed this movie so that <laughs> it's it's uh Wake Woods but overlaid on it is like good fellas. <laughs> okay. Just Joe Pesci's washed out face over a you know, a, a cow getting its guts cut open. Which I understand is just a falling moment. Oh yeah, yeah. We're gonna pivot to that now. Uh, pivot to a spalling. Um, my spalling moment. There's a scene where they introduce Patrick's job as the cow doctor man, and the way they do it is, you know, there's a cow, and he gives it like a little shot of of tranquilite. Well, a big shot of tranquilite because it's a cow, and I'm like, okay. He's, you know, using medicine to make the cow feel better. I don't know what's happening. And then he takes a scalpel and cuts, like, a huge gash into the side of the cow. And I was like, oh, my God. This is disgusting. What the hell? And then he pulls out a calf from the cow. Calf means baby cow, for those of you who didn't go to rural schools. Uh, 
and he pulls out the calf, and it's covered in goo because that's how babies come out, and it's completely disgusting. Yeah, yeah, that was. That that was my roommate. I actually know your roommate's name. What up? My my brother's asking what up. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> oh, yes. So, you mentioned that the, the, the cow C-section scene looked really grody. Let's talk about the special effects in general, because a lot of this movie's effects look really grody. For sure. Oh, shit. I forgot to do my small wonder. Yeah, I was about to say, unless your small wonder is like, the effects look like shit, then like... <laughs> no, no, no. My small wonder is another cow medicine scene. Ah, that's a cow. <laughs> but, um, it, it's that scene you mentioned where Alice has sort of mutilated this cow, and Patrick has to, you know, put it out of its misery, and he he takes that big syringe then he's like no i'm gonna shoot this cow and like you just hear the sound of the gun and this entire like wall full of cows just sort of backing up in fright and i'm glad i didn't have to see a cow get shot in the head who shot you (laughs) because of the and and that that really good uh reaction shot was there instead all these freaked out cows. Do you think it was like an actual like gun gun? I maybe it was like one of those bolt guns, like in No Country for Old Men. I never saw No Country for Old Men. It's pretty good. I just know that when they do actually kill cows for like slaughterhouses, they have a special type of gun that uses like something else. I don't know what it is. I don't remember. But it's not yeah, like it's bullets. like a, it's like a it's like a hydraulic gun. Yeah, and it was shaped weird. Yeah. So there's that, too. Because, like, cow skulls, I'm pretty sure they're thicker than human skulls. When the cow skull thick. <laughs> it became greater than greater. Ah, <laughs> oh, that cow skull is a, is a thought. Cow looking like a snack to somebody who eats beef. I don't eat beef. Uh, but now that we've actually finished talking about uh, cows having things done to them let's move on to the special effects because I for for such a cheap movie it's got very effective effects oh yeah for sure it has a lot of the sort of effects that you don't really see anymore like this sort of 70s horror movie effects. And not like the really cheesy ones, but like the David Cronenberg or like some scenes in Hellraiser where it doesn't look exactly like actual blood would look, but it does look similarly gross. It, it looks like how you expect blood to look. Yeah. I... I, I have to say, there were some scenes in, scenes in this movie 
that put the idea in my head that this might be like one of those cannibal holocaust type things where I'm I'm watching an actual cow get C-sectioned and that it, it, that probably wasn't true but like it gave me that feeling I don't know if that wasn't an actual cow being C-sectioned then it was an extremely like realistic facsimile however that word is pronounced fascist smile you know what I mean facsimile um, facsimile um because I understand how you would fake cutting into, like, cowhide. I genuinely don't get how you would fake pulling out a calf and it's all wriggling and stuff without, you know, having a calf there. I... Like, I'm not saying that that was definitely real. But if it wasn't real, that's impressive as hell. Maybe it was an animatronic calf. I don't think this movie has the budget for that. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it's much easier. I think, judging by the fact that you never actually see Patrick, you know, any recognizable part of Patrick in the same shot as um, the cow C-section, I wouldn't be too surprised if they just went to a cow farm and was like, hey, let us know if you have to do a C-section so we can film that. Well, I, I guess that's better than, like, actually killing a turtle for a movie, because the, the cow survives. Yeah. In fact, not only is the cow did the cow survive, there's, like, even another cow now. <laughs> Instead of removing a cow, you doubled the amount of cows. In a way, performing a C-section is way better than killing. <laughs> Oh, this today is the science corner episode of Spall Talk. <laughs> yeah, I'm a scientist. Didn't you hear me on Plant Talk? I'm very knowledgeable. Oh. Uh, Bill Nye the Spall and Sky. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But like, enough about the cows. Uh the special effects as they relate to humans oh. are also pretty gross. Yeah, and those are gross in, like, the clearly fake blood type of way, but, like, I don't know. The scene where Alice pulls out the heart was pretty rough. Yeah, and there's, like, a, a scene where, like, she sticks something through somebody's neck? Oh, yeah, she killed the old lady who was asking her questions. Yeah. And, like, that that scene where she, like, goes over the city limits and starts decomposing before their eyes. Hey, nobody's going to be speculating on, oh, did they actually go to a, a child death farm? Did they actually bring a child back from the dead? <laughs> Chilling at the beach down at Club Med. <laughs> but, like, it is... Did I ever tell you about the Abe Vigoda tweet that I almost tweeted... Oh, do tell. It was it was the day that you know Abe Vigoda died, and I was gonna tweet if Abe Vigoda was in the Beastie Boys, he'd be like, "Well, I'm Abe V, and I'm back from the dead." But unfortunately, he's not. R.I.P. 
I have a great tweet for when Charles Manson finally dies because he's like on his deathbed and like I'm not gonna ruin it. I'm just gonna tweet it when it happens. Oh God, it's gonna be I, good. It, is it gonna get you in more trouble than that one tweet about the gulags? Oh no, it's gonna get me in less trouble for sure. I don't uh, think anyone's gonna be like, "How dare you?" Charles Manson is a human being who just died. My my first gig opening for him. <laughs> Charles Manson taught me it was okay to be weird. <laughs> oh, I do have like a nine eleven joke that I haven't tweeted because a bunch of like conservatives started following my Twitter to watch me if I say anything. So I'm like, man. I can't get the YDSA chapter in Jeopardy because I had, like, a really funny 9-11 joke. <laughs> so instead, I'll just describe it on the show. I saw this Yeah, yeah, none of, them, none of them are going to go the extra mile of listening to Spall talk. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Although, if you are listening, uh, let's be real, since you're listening, uh, your whole ideology, it's bad. Anyway, so here's... Your whole the- style is chump. Your whole style is chump. Um... So here's the tweet. I saw this thing that was the other day that was one of those dumbass victims of communism thing. You know, the ones that are sourced from like the black book of communism. So like everything is eight times what it actually was. And half the people mentioned are Nazis. I have to say what dummy called it the black book of communism instead of the death note. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Um, it was one of those things, and it's like, the number of people killed by communism is equal to, like, and then it listed all these tragedies, and it's like, 300 World War Ones, like, you know, however many whatevers, this many Columbine shootings, and I'm like, that's really dark, I don't know if that's good, um, but one of them was uh, roughly a 9-11 every day for 100 years. <laughs> So I, sc- I screenshotted just that part, and I was going to treat that with, Eric, what does heaven look like in your religion? <laughs> heaven looked like roughly a 9-11 every day for 100 years. Oh, heaven. <laughs> heaven is a place. Is a, place. a place where 9-11, 9/11 happens. <laughs> Shout out to one of the greatest drill treats, uh, leaning into the bathroom of the World Trade Center. Hey, finish up in there. 9-11's happening. <laughs> All right, just a sec. <laughs> anyway. I would, like to retract, I would like to retract my tweet about the terror group ISIS. You do not, in fact, have to <laughs> give it to them. You do not, under any circumstances, gotta hand it to them. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh. Apparently someone doxed him, and I am not going to look up that. Yeah, I saw that. I'm also not going to learn. Um, uh, but, um... Let's let's... Ladies and gentlemen, it's me. I'm Drill. <laughs> you, ever, you ever wonder why I can always, like, almost word-for-word accuracy recall Drill tweets? It's because I made them. Well, really, isn't everyone Drill a little bit inside? That's a good Twitter account. Everyone is Drill. Yeah. It's like they say at the end of the movie uh, Godzilla 2000, uh, we scientists created drill, 
and ever since then we've been trying to destroy him. <laughs> Makes you wonder why he comes to our defense so often. Maybe, maybe it's because Drill is inside every one of us. That happened in Godzilla 2000, but they said Godzilla instead. Nice. <laughs> Uh, let, let's move from 9-11 to the performances in this movie, <laughs> which are slightly better. I would take a controversial position. I think the acting in this movie is much better than 9-11. I don't know. 9-11 is pretty good. This part, I gotta say, the acting in 9-11 <laughs> was great. Like, those crisis actors did a fantastic job. Plus the spe- not to mention the special effects team, like uh, folks. You 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 could hardly even tell it was claymation. <laughs> Henry Selleck's Nightmare Before Christmas is actually nine eleven. Do you remember if I ever said on the show, you know, the story about how I first became cognizant of nine eleven? I believe you have. Never mind that. Let's move but on. But just to remind our listeners, is it the Jerry Orbach one? <laughs> it is the Jerry Orbach one. Uh, what happened was, I, uh, you know, because 9-11 happened when I was like three years old. Like, I was too young to process what happened. I don't know if I saw it. I don't know if I was told about it at the time. The first time that I remember knowing about 9-11 was... Um, I was watching Law and Order. So I was probably six, seven, eight, somewhere around that range. I was watching Law and Order. And Jerry Orbach in that episode is being racist against Muslims. And then the guy, the black guy who was in Rent is like, Jerry Orbach, you shouldn't be racist against Muslims. And then Jerry Orbach points to where the Twin Towers used to be and goes... There used to be two towers there, but the way he said it was more like, there used to be two towers there. Like, it seemed to me like the emphasis was on two. So I was like, Mom, what's he talking about? And then she sort of gave me a brief rundown of 9-11. But I, like, I misunderstood. The, the, the plot in 60 seconds of 9-11. <laughs> what, what was 9-11? Okay, well, it all started in the 1980s. Uh, you know, USSR invaded Afghanistan. So, um, but no. So way way I, back in the 1980s, <laughs> secret government, government employees, employees dug up famous guys and ladies and made them using genetic copies, and now they're doing 911. <laughs> uh, um, do you actually know like why I, Clone High got canceled? But what, But what I had thought was that on 9-11, like, there'd been two Trade Center towers, because, like, every skyscraper looks like a tower when you're that young, Um, and, like, they'd only knocked down one of them. And so, like, one of the buildings used to have, like, another building that looked just like it. So then later on, when I actually learned, like, what had actually happened, I was like, oh, man, that's, like, twice as bad. Anyway, why did Clone High actually get canceled? Uh... Indian politicians, like, heard about the fact that Gandhi was a character in the show, and, like, like they they pressured MTV into canceling it, even though, like, it didn't air in India. 
Wow. Yeah. Did you know um, the movie Gandhi is banned in Pakistan? Really? Yeah. Huh. Because by the way, paints... I, I by the way, I heard about that Clone High story uh, from a article on Splinter somewhere within the past week. Uh, something like uh, the complicated racial legacy of Clone High. It's a good article. I'll check that out. But yeah, it's banned in Pakistan because it paints uh, Muhammad Jinnah, who was the f- sort of founder and first president of Pakistan, in a negative light. So they're like, huh. we can't have that. Wow. Did you know that Nehru was a socialist? I did not. I'm taking a class on India, so like I'm learning a lot right now, so I'm just trying to share as much of that as I can. Honestly? I thought the Nehru was just a jacket. Nope. It's a guy who popularized that style of jacket in the United States. Because it was already popular in India. Cool. So, uh, back to Wakewood and the performances therein. Ben Kingsley in in the movie Wakewood. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... Yeah, so, like, we've mentioned uh, Timothy Spall, and we haven't mentioned the main performance, uh, Patrick, played by Aiden Gillen, who you might know from The Wire or uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who's like, what would happen if I take off that mask? He's that guy. He's only in one scene. Yeah, I- but, like, it's the one scene people make all the memes about. That's right. It's sort of like how everybody makes memes about that's you know, the scene in uh, Pervert's Guide to Ideology where it's like, but I am already eating from the trash can. Like, nobody has the endurance to see the rest of it. Like, it's that, I do. Like, like, nobody makes memes about, like, the last 20 minutes of Dark Knight Rises because no one remembers what happens in it because that movie is <laughs> 18 hours long. Oh, God, it's so bad. I don't remember if it's bad or not. I just remember that it's too long for me to ever watch it again, I think. I, I This is going to be a controversial time. opinion, but all the Christopher Nolan Batman movies are bad. And basically all the Christopher Nolan movies, except for uh, The Prestige, kind of suck. Um, I remember enjoying Memento. I don't remember it that way. Hmm. That's sort of the theme of Memento. I know, that's the joke I was making. It's like uh, it's like when uh, Homer talks about Rashomon. Homer, uh, you like that movie. That's not how I remember it. My Homer Simpson voice Rashomon. sucks. I haven't seen Rashomon, but there is, you know, a joke in... Uh, in Parks and Rec where, you know, Leslie Mope is trying to save this, like, little... Uh, you know, tiny movie theater, or maybe it's a video rental place or something. But she's like, you know, well, if we get rid of this place, you know, where are people going to go if they want to watch Rashomon? <laughs> and this dude in the back's like, again, it's on the internet. Everything is. And like, oh, hush. And someone's like, Leslie, are you going to watch Rashomon? And she's like, well, no, but... <laughs> I like that I have the option to. 
So, the performances in this movie, they're pretty good. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say they're really anything special. Wait, do you not like Inception? I, I like Paprika more than I like Inception. I don't really like Paprika that much. I, I love to use Paprika when I'm making chili. I, I'm not aware of the movie of the same name. Uh, it's an anime movie from, like, 2008 about a device that lets you go Don't into people's dreams. Don't fucking say anime. Call it anime like a real American if you're going to talk about that Naruto bullshit on this show. <laughs> okay, it's a Japanimation about a device that lets you go into <laughs> people's <laughs> dreams. <laughs> and it uses, like, the fact that it's animated to do some really interesting editing tricks, like, you know, like how dreams like like how in dreams like you'll go from one thing to another without really thinking about like yeah. the fact that you haven't actually like done the like the the walking to get somewhere you'll just sort of be there mm-hmm. and nothing in inception is quite as visually interesting as some of the animation in paprika that is fair I still think it's pretty good. Like most Christopher Nolan movies, it's pretty long, and I don't think I'm going to watch it again. Um, <laughs> I don't Unlike most Christopher he, Walken if, movies. You remember Seven Psychopaths? I've not seen Seven Psychopaths, even though I like In Bruges. It's a good movie. Um, yeah. I don't remember if Christopher Nolan wrote Man of Steel or if he just, like, produced it or whatever, but, like, that movie sucked. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. The one good thing about uh, the movie Man of Steel was... Is that, Chris, is that uh, Christopher Maloney does 9-11? <laughs> that, too. But the main thing is we were watching it once in you know, with our family, our extended family in Vegas, and it's in that, like, unbelievably long 45-minute scene where everything gets destroyed. And Evan, our cousin, who was, like, 11 at the time, turns to us and goes, I know that this didn't really happen, because you would have seen it on the news. Oh my like, god! He was, he was so young that I didn't know if that was like a weird thing that a kid says or like a really funny joke. <laughs> that's that that's amazing. Anyway, but, what the hell are we talking about with this movie? I, I fucking love that Christopher Maloney just straight up does nine eleven. Like, he he, yeah. he fucking flies a plane into this big Kryptonian egg ship. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah, um, Timothy Spall's performance, we should probably talk about that. Yeah. He is very sort of mystical and mysterious, while also being very, like, grounded and down-to-earth as just, you know, this guy who works in the village. Yeah. It's one of his more understated performances, to be sure. Yeah, but he he really gets to shine while doing the ritual. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk about the ritual real quick? Yeah. Hit me. Um, 
I don't remember like how the ritual goes, but it is one of the more uh, special effects heavy bits because they have like this corpse and they're just fucking around with this corpse and like throwing dirt on it. And then they like set the corpse on fire to sort of bake a shell around it. Just this dirt shell. Yeah. Like, like it's a fucking souffle. And then they, then they take a spoon and crack the top and oh, it's Alice. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they break it open, and then you have to pull out Alice, and she's covered in goo, and like, oh, this gore pours out. Oh yeah, just like the uh, just like the cow C-section. Yeah, it's called foreshadowing. Whoa, why? But yeah, there's like this sort of like uh, this incantation that he has to do as well. Like Alice, take these eyes. Alice, take this hand. And it's, I, I, I like the lighting in that scene because it is, it's clear, like you can see what's happening, but it's also moody. Absolutely. And like in a lot of movies of this sort of budget range, you probably would not be able to see what was happening or it just would not be uh, necessarily moody. Definitely. But this, this hits the sweet spot. Absolutely. A controversial topic, uh, or controversial statement, something that I genuinely don't often say on this show, um, I like this movie a lot. Yeah, let's move on to our, uh, small ratings. Definitely. One of, one of the, uh, the, the higher, um, you know, higher ranking movies that we've seen. Let's look over my notes, see if there's anything else I wanted to say before we move into ratings. We should probably talk about the wind turbines. Yeah, the fucking wind turbines. It's... Yeah, it, it, there's this interesting thing where it's like the wind turbines are the outskirts of the town, and you can't go into the wind turbines with this sort of dead person you've tried to bring back. Like, it, it yeah. is this sort of subtle little metaphor, like the wind turbines are the future, they're sort of stuck in the past, and by like having their child resurrected, they're sort of bound to this this past town. This movie is like Okay, this movie is like what Pushing Daisies would have been if Brian Fuller had listened to more black metal. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I hadn't even made that connection, but yeah. Yeah, they were huh. like, like we can bring back your daughter for three days, and I was like, oh, you're not allowed to touch her, right? But like, no, that, was, that wasn't the twist. <laughs> no, no, the twist is that is that she turns evil. Oh yeah, she turns real evil. Wild. But yeah, uh, let's go on to the uh, small ratings. Eric, would you like to go first? Um, yeah, for the movie overall, I'm going to give it, you know, it's been, I don't know how long it's been since I rated something this highly, but I'm going to give it four out of five spalls. This, to me, was one of the best movies we've seen. Huh. Could you, uh, talk about that a little bit more? Like, what, what puts this above other movies? Yeah, like, a lot of the movies, especially the movies you watch on Spall Talk, are very sort of... I guess bland isn't really the word, but 
you know, movies like The Love Punch, they seem sort of careless and like low effort, but this movie absolutely wasn't. This is what I was talking about maybe a few episodes ago when I was talking, maybe it was last episode, who knows, but I was saying that what I like in a movie, even if it doesn't have like technical skill, I like it if it has heart or something like that. That's definitely what this movie was. It was like the later Hel- some of the later Hellraiser movies where maybe they had some technical missteps, but it was a really interesting concept and I think they pulled it off really well. It was better than I expected by a, a wide margin and I was genuinely unsettled by it which is really impressive to me. You know, I, I, I like a horror movie that can make me feel freaked out. Like, that's good to me. Okay, uh, I agree on a lot of those points. I, I would definitely say that this is a movie with heart, but it, I think it could have really been something if it had found... A, an, an aesthetic to sort of tie itself to because as it is now it like in terms of like looks it just kind of seems like they they in terms of looks they they went they settled for just like generic directed dvd horror box art and that's kind of a disservice to the story they were trying to tell and the acting they had behind it and like if it had been edited and shot a little bit more uh distinctly the editing is also kind of a mess because the, the the way they do like scene to scene transitions is also kind of clunky. The the editors here definitely do not seem to be uh, particularly experienced, and that that's not necessarily a mark against them. Like they 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 do a a serviceable job here, but this could have used something more than serviceable. And so I I do like it. I'm gonna give it a a three. I can't give it a four like you did, but I will give it a solid three. That is fair. I will say that the box art for this definitely doesn't do it justice. Yeah. The box it, art... It kind of looks... It looks kind of bye-bye, Manny. Yeah, I... The box office... I really thought it was... The box office... The box art... I really thought was going to be shitty. Uh, but no, for the, honestly, if we were doing this sort of thing where we made, like, box sets that are, like, these are the best of... You know, the movies you've covered on Spall Talk, I think this would certainly be in it for me. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Spall's performance itself. Spall's uh, performance? Um, a little more understated than some of his other roles, but I think he managed what he was doing very well. Um, and this is the sort of role that you don't generally see him in. Uh, so since it was sort of out of his general wheelhouse, I'm going to give him five out of five spalls. I think he did oh, great. Oh. Yeah. That is... I was going to give him like a three. Okay. Because I, I've seen him do better in villainous roles, and this... He, what he villainous is... roles has he done better in? Just... I mean, I... I, I Enchanted. That would be like a five out of five villain role for him okay. in my eyes. Okay. I'm gonna disagree with you on the type of role he had. Because I think this is the perhaps one of the only Timothy Spall movies we've seen with him 
as like a major sort of oh like like an authority figure villain yeah instead of a henchman villain as opposed to a henchman villain like fair enough he's not i i'm not even sure if i would entirely call him a villain in this it's kind of ambiguous which i also like that that that's fair like you usually don't see him in like a, a place of authority timothy spall in this movie is lawful neutral all right, but what, what what's sort of bringing it down for me is less that he does what he does poorly. It's that he he is sort of put into this sort of supporting character role that could have been, like, more interesting, but he's not really given the screen time to make the, the character particularly interesting. So I'm actually going to give him a four because I do think he does very well in a role we don't usually see him in. It's just the script doesn't quite give him what he needs to bring it up to that 5 to 5 level. That is fair. Um I generally kind of don't think it's fair to judge Timothy Spall's performance based on like um factors that he himself couldn't control like screen time and you know the sort of character he plays. So I, I mean, I, I, I certainly I wouldn't like. Also, I know that I, I, I also certainly wouldn't sort of done that in other episodes. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I certainly wouldn't like it, use the fact that he is sort of a, a minor character to sort of bring his role down all the way. But like, I do think that this that he could have done more, but he was just sort of held back a little bit. It's, I think it's very interesting the role that he plays because at first he's set up to be a villainous character, but then as the movie goes on, you know, and we find out that, you know, the cult ritual he does is like it's how this town operates. He sort of shifts into not really a heroic role, but he's the leader and he's sort of the peacekeeper and it's his job to make sure that all the rules are followed and the process goes the way it needs to. So it's, I don't know, it's f- interesting to me. Okay. Okay. Again, I would say I genuinely, I definitely recommend this movie if you're listening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Spall Fashion? Oh, yeah. He's not going to do so hot in this one. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say, like, Two out of five, it's not like it's it's functional, it's not really distinctive. You barely get to see it given like some of the uh the color grading. I'll also give it a two, because like I don't know much about Irish fashion, but it definitely seems like he dresses like a hundred years out of date. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's my take. Two out of five on that one. Yeah, so that's the spa ratings. Let's go to the recommendations. All right. Eric, please go first. Uh, I'm going to have three recommendations for you. Do you want me to do all at once, or should we switch off? I'm thinking switch off. Coolio. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about... A, uh, it's one of the more well-known of my recommendations. It's a horror movie that came out a couple years ago. You can find it on Netflix. Uh, it's called The Babadook. Uh, some people will tell you it's pronounced Babadook, and they are wrong. The movie will tell you that it's pronounced Babadook. 
or Babadook, and I disagree with that. <laughs> uh, I know that every other word that's spelled O-O-K makes an ook sound, but listen. Anyway, I think it was a very good... It's like this movie, it's an interesting concept that's not extremely well put together uh, uh, technically. Um, there's a lot of shots, and especially at the end when we actually see the Babadook, is that it's sort of, you know, it just looks so good. But it also has it has the same sort of tense uh, atmosphere as, as this movie, and also the sort of uh, not really British but Britishness of it, because this takes place in Ireland and Babadook is in Australia. All right. Both of um, those uh, nationalities, people would probably beat the shit out of me for calling them British e, but not really <laughs> British. I do not take kindly to that. Uh, for something that is really British, let's move on to my first recommendation. Monty Python's which... Flying Circus. <laughs> uh, no, no, the uh, the 1970s version of the Wicker Man, not the uh, Nicolas Cage version. Wicker. Uh, a lot I of the. Know her. A lot of this movie's lore is based in this sort of sort of folk tradition, uh, as this sort of mysterious thing that you're not really expected to be familiar with, and that unfamiliar unfamiliarity is a, a, a sort of it, it's quaint but also disturbing. And The Wicker Man really leans into that sense of quaint but also disturbing. You can also watch the 1970s version of The Family Man, which also got remade starring Nicolas Cage. Wait, is that? No. Oh, I was thinking of The Weatherman. Nah. <laughs> yeah, but, it, you know, yeah, there's no uh, old British 70s Weatherman, and um, there also isn't one for The Family Man. That was, ah. That's a joke. Okay. Family Man was okay. pretty good, though. Don Cheadle's in it. I don't remember much about the weatherman except that he gets really into archery. All I remember about the weatherman is that he and Bill Ayer start blowing up uh, uh, <laughs> Oh, Nick Cage Weather Underground movie book it game. <laughs> I would absolutely watch it. Uh, I. I mean, I don't really think there's more to say about The Wicker Man. Either you already know about it, or, like, you can just go and see it, because it, it speaks for itself. Yeah, I haven't seen The Wicker Man, but I will, I probably should see it eventually. Yeah. I should watch more movies. Um, yeah. Yeah, you should watch more movies other than, like, The Boss Baby. <laughs> okay, in fairness, that was a while back. <laughs> I, I I don't remember like when in the year you said it, but like there was a bit uh, a, a bit where you were like, oh yeah, uh, the only movies I've seen aside from uh, movies <laughs> I've seen for Spall Talk are uh, The Boss Baby and Split. They started, and I only watched both of those movies because like Ben had some people go and watch it, and he brought me along. <laughs> I went to see oh. I, went, I went to see Split because Ben had got um, a you know gift cards to a movie theater for Christmas, and then we saw <laughs> the Boss Baby because you know he texted like some dumb group chat that I was in and he was like, "Hey, 
let's come to my someone's like hey let's all go see the boss baby and then was like or we could just come to my apartment and i could just find it online and then i don't have to pay to see the boss baby (laughs) oh i is the boss baby the worst movie you've seen this year um strong no okay what is the worst movie you've seen this year I'm trying to think to see if there's any that I saw outside of Spall Talk that I really hated. And I don't think there are. I'm, it's probably Alice in Wonderland. Fair Wait, enough. no. What was the other Spall Talk movie we watched that I fucking hated that I said was even worse than Alice in Wonderland? Jack Boots on Whitehall. Fuck, yeah. That's, yeah. I was about to be like, since I don't remember it, then it probably wasn't as bad as Alice in Wonderland. But now that I remember it, yeah. No, it's worse. I, I think I Alice in Wonderland like Alice in Wonderland is probably like one of the worst movies I've seen this year alongside uh Collateral Beauty which I saw That's on New fair. Year's Day. <laughs> to be honest though, I think Jack Boots on Whitehall is probably like a better movie than Alice in Wonderland which to me just kind of makes it a worse experience because I don't even get the like oh my god this movie is so bad look at that that's awful like it's not even bad enough for me to take enjoyment out of how bad it is it's just bad enough for it to irritate me okay is my thoughts on the matter should Um, I move on to my next recommendation or what yeah. Let's see where I write them down. Uh, oh, yeah. Another horror movie that I have enjoyed. This one is um, uh, slightly less well-known, I think. It's surprisingly, um, you know, uh, under the radar for a lot of people. It's called Sinister. Um, and what it's about is there's this guy who's like a, a true crime writer. And That's moves- Ethan Hawke, right? Sure. Because I know that there's that's like a Bloomhouse series with Ethan Hawke. Uh, you, no, no, Ethan Hawke was um, Ethan Hawke the skateboard guy. I, I'm trying to think of like notable Ethan Hawke roles aside from. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of like Ethan Hawke roles you would have seen. Uh, there's Ethan he was Hawk's in Boyhood. Pro Skater, Ethan Hawke's Pro Skater Two, Ethan Hawke's Pro Skater Three. I didn't see Boyhood. Uh, he was in. I the, saw uh, Boys in the Hood. No, that's a lie. Ethan Hawke was not in Boys in the Hood. He was in Training Day, though. Um, Is that about trains? I haven't seen that either. (laughs) No. Um, He was in Gattaca. Battlestar Gattaca. (laughs) Keep him coming. I can do this all night. Love to riff. Have you seen The Purge? I saw The Purge election year. He was but not I didn't in that see the one. first two Purge movies. I believe he dies in the first Purge. Rest in Purge. Um, Reality Bites, have you seen that one? No. I've um, seen Realty Bites, the episode of The Simpsons. Apparently he was in Lord of War, but I don't remember what part he played in that. I don't even know what that movie's about. Is that uh, That is Nicolas Cage as an arms dealer. Oh, fuck, that sounds dope, actually. It is really dope. It's one of my favorite Nick Cage movies. I love Nick Cage. One of my, probably, I think my favorite Nick Cage movie might be Bringing Out the Dead. That's one I've been meaning to see. It's 
good as hell. I watched it one time in, in some summer in high school where I was like, what if I watch every Nick Cage movie that's on Netflix? I didn't watch all of them, but I watched them. <laughs> They're pretty good. Some of them. Okay, yeah, I can't find an Ethan Hawke role that I think you might have seen, so was anyway, he, just talk about Sinister. I, was he in Sinister then? He, he was. He was the main character in Sinister. Then I'd know who he is. Why'd we even do that? I, because you, you were like, oh, who's Ethan Hawke? <laughs> you could have just been like, he's the fucking dude in Sinister. <laughs> then I'd be like, yeah, I remember that because I've fucking seen Sinister. <laughs> anyway, Sinister is a movie where Ethan Hawke apparently is a crime writer, a true crime writer, and so he's investigating a crime so he can write a novel about it. And he moves into this house where people have been murdered in because that's what he does. And then his wife is like, is this a murder house? You promised me we wouldn't move into any more murder houses. And he's like, listen, yes, but we're going to be fine. And then he finds in the attic a box of um, uh, home movies, unlike, you know, Super 8 film. And it, he watches them and all the home movies are like first person videos of entire families being killed in various ways. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's trying to trace out what connects all these things together. And, you know, he talks to, uh, Bobby Gorin, whose, uh, actor name, I don't remember. Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio, who's a great guy to follow on Twitter. Oh yeah. Uh, if you tweet Vincent D'Onofrio, he will find it and respond to it. He's the best. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So he comes in. They sort of. He, he eventually figures out what connects all of these murders, but I'm not going to reveal it because it is kind of an important plot twist. It was. It's a very good movie, I think. It. Uh, what I kind of like in a horror movie is that it tends to shy away from jump scares, which I think is good because that's a very overused trope, and there's. Certainly not a lot of those in there. So, yeah. All right. I, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, enjoyable might not be how I would describe my next recommendation, but uh, it's it's certainly a, a very interesting movie. Uh, it's Lars von Trier's Dogville, uh, which, like this, is about... A small town revealing its dark secrets. Man bites Dogville. (laughs) But instead of those dark secrets being, oh, we uh, resurrect the dead, this one is, oh, everyone in town is a huge piece of shit. (laughs) So Nicole Kidman uh, is on the run from the mob. She comes to this town and... uh, uh, Paul Bettany, who plays Ultron in the Avengers movies, is this guy in this town who who sets up these sermons so he can, like, give moral instruction to the rest of the town because he thinks he's fucking better than them. Mm-hmm. And, like, as part of his lesson, he's like, hey, hey, a lot of us think that we're think that we're hot shit, but but we're not we're not good people. We're not, we're not people who would, who would accept a stranger into our midst. And as a way to prove it, I give you the stranger who was in our midst. Let's, 
are you going to accept her or not? And so, like, the first time I watched this movie, I got through, like, I got to, uh, so it's, it's broken up into nine chapters, like a play. And in, in the first three chapters, it's her being accepted into the town and, like, doing odd jobs for people. And, like, at the end of the third chapter, I was like, it's been a while. That's, that's three, three out of nine chapters. How long is this movie? And I checked the thing and it, oh, I'm an hour into a three hour movie. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, th- three things you'll need to know. One, it's three hours. Two, uh, it's all shot like a play. Like the, it, there's a big, uh, sort of soundstage type thing with Ooh. like, there, there are houses sort of demarcated with like chalk on the ground or like paint. Like there are, it's, it's like looking at a blueprint from above with like little elements of like walls and such. So like when someone's doing a scene in one building, you can see pat, you can see like through where the wall would be into other houses. Uh, which is, it's certainly a a technique that's gonna take getting used to. Yeah. And three, heavy content warning about sexual violence. That's 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 a big part of it. I I'm not gonna say it's a fun movie. It it's it it's uh it's 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 an effective movie. But yeah, that's our recommendations. Eric, where can we find you on the internet? I do have one more recommendation. Oh, right, yeah. It's Pushing Daisies. Um, you probably already know about this, especially because we talked about it a little bit. Lee Pace plays this pie maker who has a special skill. The skill is he can, you know, touch a dead person or dead something else. Like it works for, you know, fruits and plants. And then he touches it again and then it's dead forever. Uh, and if he doesn't touch it again and, you know, kill it within a minute, um, then somebody else will die to take his place. Which is, you know, sounds dark, but it's a very cute and fun and funny show. So check that out if you can. You can find me on the online at Eric is a Joke. Um... You can listen to my show, Funkhouse Berlin, consistently the highest rated political talk program in the history of the spoken word, or tweet at us at Funkhouse Berlin. Our website is uh, funkhouse.stream, and we're on Twitter at Funkhouse Berlin. Do you have anything special planned for this weekend? Um, <laughs> still working on that. Okay, so no uh, breaking interview with the SSAs. Or like uh, the the big diaper Gazi expose. No, we don't have we don't have anything big like that to, to you know to plug this time around. But yeah, we have had some interesting episodes. You could check all of them out on our Bandcamp, funkasbelinda.bandcamp.com. All right, and you can find me at f u c k i n a l p a m a r e and uh, has the latest episode of uh, Funkhouse been put up on Bandcamp yet? Ooh, nope. I need to do that still. Uh, then whenever he does that, you'll be able to hear me on Funkhouse Berlin talking about Weezer and other stuff that might have something to do with politics. I'm not 
I don't particularly remember what we talked about on that one. I don't know, probably like movies. I, I think I only brought up movies once or twice. We talked about Weezer. Yeah, we definitely talked about Weezer, and uh, we did Rand Paul voices. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, that's about it. Spall's life. That's Spall, folks. <laughs>